Hello, I'm Rabbi Iggy, and welcome to Tattoos and Torah. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tattoos and Torah. Uh, I'm Rabbi Iggy from the Truva Center, and we have a really uh, unbelievable guest today, which I'm really, really both honored and uh, super excited about this conversation. Uh, today we have with us Jessica Graham, who uh, is a lot of things um, for the sake of what we are talking about. Uh, she's a meditation teacher, a sex relationship and spiritual coach for couples and individuals. She's a speaker and educator uh, and author of Good Sex, Getting Off Without Checking Out, uh, which has been translated into several languages. She is a contributor and editor of the meditation blog, uh, Deconstructing Yourself. In addition to this, Jessica is also an award-winning actor and filmmaker. And you can connect with Jessica on Instagram, uh, Jessica Clark Graham, and at uh, yourwildawakening.com. Uh, we'll repeat that in the end as well. But hi, Jessica, thank you for hi. joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. This is this is really great. So, uh, as we've spoken before, right? So, sort of tattoos and Torah, this podcast, the work that we're doing are um, really about uh, a lot of elements of recovery, but primarily about sort of things that don't seemingly go with each other. Right, sort of things that sort of are perhaps in opposition to each other, create some tension, um, and shifting from a binary point of view, an either-or point of view, to a both-and point of view. Yeah. So, um, that being said, I'm excited about this conversation because I think that sexuality, sex, um, is something that a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about. I think it is at the core of a lot of people's miseries, but also at a lot of people's sort of uh, at the forefront of their thinking. Um, but they don't talk about it. Uh, it's somewhat of a taboo in sort of uh, civilized society, unfortunately. Uh, it's definitely taboo in religious communities. People don't talk about it. So, to start with, how is it that something that I think is so important to so many people is one of the things that we talk, talk we don't talk about, right? There's a lot of those, right? So like I think we care about sex, money, power, health, and let's say family relationships. Um, but the majority of them are not acceptable, quote unquote, table topic conversations. Um, so looking at sex, why is that? Mm. Well, yeah, it's so true. It's like my favorite topics are are off limits you know it's like for for a while I was like I just want to talk about sex and death and spiritual awakening and that's it and I've I've broadened you know what I'm willing to talk about at this point because that kind of alienates people if you uh, only talk about those things at every dinner party you go to um but yeah I dinner mean, parties what are those <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know. I mean, honestly, I've, I'm not really a dinner party person anymore anyway, because I have like all these health restrictions. And so I think people just stopped inviting me. They're like, oh, just don't, don't invite Jessica. Have her over for tea instead. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I think obviously, uh, you know, religion is a big, is a big part of it. And what religion says about sex um, or what people have, um, 
translated it into saying about sex. Um, that's definitely a, a big part of it. I think, um, you know, I think there was a obviously a huge move to disempower women. And, um, you know, that, that cut us off from embodiment, it cut us off from connection to, to nature in a certain way. Um, And, you know, these are things that happened, you know, forever ago. But um, I think also there, you mentioned all the misery, the suffering around sex, and it's hard for us to go into those places where there's so much pain. Um, I think the majority of the people that I talk to and work with, the mo- one of the layers that has to be addressed first is the trauma. You know, so many of us have experienced some, some level of trauma when it comes to sex. And so there's, of course, shame that comes up with that. And shame causes us to uh, become silent and so we're not speaking about these about these topics as a result um i think it's also you know it's like we like things to be neat and we like things to be uh you know compartmentalized and sex is wild (laughs) it's wild It, it connects us to this like wild human animal that we are and um, it's not convenient when we're trying to get everything you know in its place so that we feel like we have solid ground to stand on when actually we don't so so what i'm hearing and and this is fascinating on one hand right so like there's this sort of the the primordial um wildness right so like passion of sex right i've just spoken about this last week's uh, podcast about eros, right? So like the sort of the, the the passion element, the fiery element of it, and and that doesn't really fit into anywhere. Um, but I'm also hearing right that sort of we don't talk about it um, because we have so much pain and shame and guilt around it, and because um, and and I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, but I don't know how you feel about it. But I feel that a lot of people just don't know what good sex is. Um, or at least their, their experience with sex is not good. I guess mm-hmm. I'll say it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they think that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet they see right in Hollywood, TV, porn, right? Sort of like this sort of this uber satisfying, eye rolling, back curving sort of like, you know, sex. And they're like, how how come I don't have that? And, and it, it seems to be that everybody else is having that, but I'm not having that. Mm-hmm. Right? And and yeah. the shame of like, am I, what am I doing wrong? Well, yeah, something's wrong with me. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I'm doing it wrong. And because people don't talk about it, people don't talk about it. That's you right. know, one of one of the main things that like I try to offer is just like, we can talk about this. Like right. I can sit here and we can talk about it, whether it's with a group or with one person or, you know, and it's, I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to judge you, you know, and, and there's not a lot of space for that. And there, there's starting to be more, I think younger generations are much more interested in having these conversations. Um, Even just like, you know, I subscribe to uh, teen Vogue, right. Because of what they're doing politically. I want to support them. And, you know, today I got an email like, what let's talk about good sex like that's in teen vogue you know so there's these younger generations that are talking about pleasure you know that are talking about um you know what 
what is it like to to really invest and explore this part of ourselves? But in general, you know, that's not what's happening. And so because people aren't talking about it, we don't know. And I see this a lot with with men because men are really not talking about it with each other. They're, and women do to a certain extent. And when they do, I feel they lie, to be entirely honest. They feel like they have to because right. everyone else is. It's like this is the idea of you know, male sexuality and this is how it's supposed to be. And it's so varied and it's so unique and it's so beautiful, but we don't know it because it's not getting, it's not getting talked about. And even the thing is, is like, like there could be a men, there's men's groups, there's beautiful men's groups. What I find is a lot of them tend to fit into a certain category, like a David data kind of somewhat, um, heteronormative kind of, you know, tantric based thing, which is great. That's wonderful. But that's not going to speak to every man. That's not going to be something that, you know, that every guy wants to go and do or that they relate to. And so I just I think in that way, um, it's really important to have more opportunities for men to talk about sex, because I think you know, when we're looking at the Me Too movement, we need to look at that side too. We need to look at like, it's not getting, t- men are not learning about these things. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I th- there's so much in this. Uh, I think, right, we'll get to the meditation and sort of spirit- and spirituality part in, in a bit, of course, right? Because I think that is very important. But I think for a lot of men, of course, that's kind of like second floor. <laughs> we're still, we're still at the, at the ground level. Um because I do feel you're right. I think there's not a lot of space for it, and I think for a lot of people, even even this, right? I think there will be a lot of people who who will feel maybe that this is controversial, right? I'm a rabbi, I'm a spiritual leader, and I want to talk about sex. Right? And people will be like, "What? what? That's that's not where we talk about sex, right?" So so it's an invitation for people to talk about sex, but but I think out of a space where this is something that we go through. Right, this is something that is important to us, and if we're not speaking about it, then the reason why becomes incredibly important for any kind of growth, mm-hmm. right? Sort of like you said, the shame, the guilt, the trauma, whatever it is. Like, if you're not talking about it, why is it that you're not talking about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even if you're not dealing with a huge amount of shame and guilt and trauma, you know, not that's not everybody's experience. Um, what about this huge part of your humanity that's just not being looked at, that's not being explored, that's not being expressed fully? Um, you know, and that that in of itself is is you know is heartbreaking to see. So, um, I, I think you know, for me, the work is about becoming more human, and I think the world around us and the culture, in certain ways is asking us to be less human, you know, like put your sex here, it fits here and put, put your death here. It fits here. Um, rather than like, we're, we're just, we're a, a big chaotic mess really. And I mean that in the best way, like yeah. in this, like, you know, in, in the way that we're nature. And I think, again, I just think that we, that's scary. I think it's scary. I think that it's, um, you know, we want things to make sense and, right. My experience has been that sex and sexuality don't make a whole lot of sense. No, no, (laughs) 
I, I agree. Or at least not the sense that we kind of want them or the world is pushing us to 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 make sense, right? So like in right. many ways, yes, we're messy because we're full of tensions, right? And it's when we pretend to be just a good girl or just a bad girl or <laughs> just a good boy or bad boy, you know, that sort of that we 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 sin towards ourselves. But what I, we believe, right, is sort of the addiction in that sense is a spiritual malady, mm. right? And that malady is that sense of self that says you're not worth it, something's wrong with you, you're broken, you don't matter, right? Mm -hmm. And where with sex, it's sort of that a lot of people don't, I guess, believe that they deserve to be pleasured, I guess, sort of, a, that's not exactly a word, but, uh, right, to, to have pleasure, to have somebody give them pleasure, to say what they want, to say what they, fe what feels good to them, right? Communication is such a big part, part of everything, <laughs> including mm -hmm. sex. But I think that that's part of what you said before, the trauma, the eroded self, that, right, I, I don't, something in me doesn't deserve it. Uh, and the fear, right? If if everything uh, kind of like erupts, right, right, how will I deal with myself? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, how will I deal with myself is a, is an interesting interesting question that I think definitely comes up in this realm, definitely comes up in the realm of pleasure. I mean, it's really vulnerable to be seen in pleasure, even by yourself, you know, because what will I do with myself? Like when you're really fully in pleasure, in sexual pleasure, the self is harder to find, right. <laughs> you know, we become we become um, more in a flow of activity rather than this, this solid self. So what do we do with ourselves in that, in that space? And we let go more fully and that's, you know, we're scared to let go. We're scared to let right. go. Um, and even in self-pleasure, you know, I mean, this is something that I like, I, I tend to teach a lot around is, you know, how to bring um, presence and communication into sex with ourselves as well. Right. I mean, I, I recently, yeah, sorry, go on. Well, I just, I, some, I recently did this, this little event and they wanted mindful sexuality. Um, and I said, okay, great. Well, we'll talk about, um, you know, we'll talk about pleasure. We'll talk about mindful masturba masturbation. Wait, we're going to wait masturbation. I don't know if we should mention, mention masturbation. I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm not really going to be able to do this if I can't mention masturbation, <laughs> you know, it's like, right. We need to be able to at least with ourselves. Right. If you're afraid of the word, there, I assure you, you're not ready for what I'm about to teach. <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, to, speaking of, right, sort of masturbation is right, that I think a lot of people see it as um, a result of a lack of, right? So like I don't have a partner or I, I'm not having sex, right? So I will self-pleasure, right? But, but, but so many people, which comes back to what we're saying, so many people um, don't understand or don't see or I think, right, the sort of society is pushing us to sort of it is a part of sexuality all by itself that has nothing to do with the other, right? It is not, it's not a lack of. That's right. right? People see it as a lot resort rather than part of, right, of sexual, uh, sexual pleasure. And in that sense, right, spiritual pleasure, right? So yes, there's a lot of things that one does in a community, right? And the energy of the community, right? So like whatever it is, synagogue, church, you know, mosque, wherever you are. But they are spiritual benefits, right? Or spiritual pleasures that one has to do on one's own. Mm. 
and not because of lack of or not because nobody wants them to do with with the other but because you you want to do right so there is i i i i do yoga something that a lot of people don't know about me <laughs> um i've been doing yoga for for many 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 years um and there is a space for yoga to, in in a in a group right with a teacher in a group setting and then there's space for personal yoga and it's very different mm-hmm. yeah absolutely it's yeah it's it I, that's it's a great way to talk about it for sure it's like I enjoy meditating in a group, but most of my meditation is done on my own. And ultimately, only I'm inside there. <laughs> like only I'm in, in that in, in that experience. So yeah, I, I think that self-pleasure and a healthy relationship with self-pleasure and and by healthy, I mean, I don't mean it needs to look a certain way. I mean, healthy right. for you, right. <laughs> you know, like. Right what self-pleasure looks like for me has changed and changed and changed again over the years, depending on like who I happen to, to be that, right. that day or that year. Um, but it's, it's, it allows you to then know what feels good to coming right. back to that communication and be able to be able to talk about it. Um, it's interesting though, with the guilt topic, because many, many people at the beginning of their self-pleasure experience as young ones have guilt about it and I did and the thing is is that like I was not raised in any religion I was if anything like I was probably you know given too much sex positivity like it was just like you know um really open um and nobody ever told me that it was wrong nobody ever told me not to do it um at all and yet in the when I was like 12 you know, around that age and started to discover that part of myself, I felt guilty about it. And I kept promising myself, like, I won't do this anymore. And then at some point I got over it. At some point I was like, you know, I was like, oh, this is totally fine and normal and, and okay to do. But for, for many people, they don't actually leave that phase because, you know, outside circumstances are telling them that, yes, this is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. I've, I've, you know, had conversations particularly with men who are like i i ruined myself like i know i'll I'll never be able to have a normal sex life because i masturbated a lot as a teenager wow yeah which is not true by the way (laughs) (laughs) not at all we we, it's funny because right because um i grew up in a religious community right and both in uh, more traditional Orthodox, uh, you know, Judaism. Yes, masturbation is a huge no-no. You're not, you're not, you know, you're not allowed to. Um, and and right, sort of, and, and all the different sort of uh, uh, old wives' tales and sort of like superstition, the sort of that that um, that come with that. So I, I felt that too, right? When 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 I did, uh, and I even remember that there was. Uh, because I went to an old boys school for a while as, you know, as a lot of religious boys. And there was this sort of uh, pact at some point, I think, from a couple of friends. How long can we go? And then, <laughs> this is hilarious. And then one of us had uh, uh, a nighttime ejaculation, right? So like, you know, just that it happens. And and we had a whole debate about, is that does that count or not? <laughs> Does he, does he have to go back to zero, right? And he was like, "I didn't do it. it wasn't my, you know." But, but just to reinforce your point of how, um, 
how it's such a young age, right? This is this is preteen for me, right? This is you know how it's such a young age already. This sort of like uh, right ejaculation, sex, eroticism, masturbation um, already starts being sort of pulled into this realm of morality and and right and sort of like can I can't I right wrong good bad mm-hmm. right and how we all carry this with us yeah you know and and how destructive it can be again back to recovery when 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 something that is very natural we get labeled for ourselves oh something is wrong or something is not right and again we don't talk about it right nobody no especially nobody spoke about it yeah um which is which is very unfortunate and and if it's true for boys i can only imagine what it was for for girls at the same age yeah i mean it's uh it's a mm. i'm just thinking back to the sorry i'm kind of pausing and thinking back yeah, yeah. to the last um the last thing you said when you were um just about it it already it already being such a yeah so because this is such a natural expression of being human um it's it's like we're it's ingrained into us before that part of us even starts to develop that there's something wrong with it. And the thing is, is that sexuality is why we're here. Like sex is why you and I exist right now. And so. Well, you know, I I might be a divine miracle. I don't know you, but I, there's a very distinct possibility. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I believe it. You are a miracle. No, 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 not at all. I was not planned. I was not planned. My parents got married very young, very young. They had plans to travel the world. I was not planned. So my parents are very young, much, much, much younger than I was when I got married, when I was had children. So, so yes, my parents, I'm, de- I'm definitely not divine. My, my parents were young. They were, my mom was only 19 when she got pregnant with me, but I was planned. They wanted, like, they were like, oh, wow. and they were actually traveling the world when they got pregnant. They, uh, I was conceived, I think, on oh, a sister? Gre- Gre- Grecian beach. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so it's like, if you're, if from the beginning, like this, this totally natural expression of being human, this thing that actually allows us to exist is made wrong. Like, what does that do to a psyche? Like, I'm thinking about like, for so many humans, maybe every human I've ever met, there's like a part of them that feels like there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Some, mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that's after you've done the trauma work and you've right. done all this spiritual work. And there's just this sense of like, there's something wrong with me. I don't, you know, I don't know if I deserve to exist or something. Okay. Like that. Okay. And I wonder about that connection, you know, right. between sex being wrong, the thing that creates the creative, right. you know, force of, of us being being made wrong does that somehow i don't know I think so. kind of like <laughs> thinking out as no, I, I think so because because right sort of like diving into spirituality a bit right because you're right right the only two forces of in in this cosmos are life and death right so like we're all gonna die for sure right 
uh, than in taxes, right? Is the old idiom says, but right, we all will die. And in fact, it is that death that gives us meaning, right? That that end that gives the, the precious meaning of every moment. But creation, right? Sort of the force of the divine, the force of God, the, sport, the force of spirit, right? Is part of mysticism and, and spirituality in a sense of the, right? The, the male and the female, Right, the the forces, not just the binary sort of distinction, so to create something, to create something new. So, so even that moment of creation, right? So, like the the um, the, the the sexual power of that creation is already put into a box very, very young for a lot of us to say mm, something is not okay. Right? What's wrong with you? Yeah. Right. Um, and and again, I think because it's so tied to pleasure. And so tied to sort of self-gratification, it starts to create, it plants a seed in ourselves that says, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. You're not okay. You're not like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Right? And and again, I think that hole in one soul, which is at the core of addiction for so many, um, uh, not the least of which, right, sort of like the interesting of like sex addictions and sort of love addictions, we, which we can talk about it too, right? So like that that space that sort of negates our very essence of creation. Because I yeah. think even for young children, there is a certain um, um, notion almost that sort of that's, that it's somehow tied to creation, right? It's not, we don't understand sex yet, whatever, but we, we understand that there's some force in us because it's stronger than us, right? We don't, right? We don't choose our, we don't choose our erections, Right. right. We, don't, we don't choose, you know, we can, but we don't choose our erections, right? Some things all of a sudden sort of like turns you on, mm-hmm. right? And this is true for spirituality, this is true for art, this is true for, right? This all of a sudden you're like, ooh, yes, baby. yes, <laughs> right? Absolutely, um, yeah. And, and yeah, and, and, and I remember as a kid, it's so like my first one, and I'm like, what's that? Oh, my God. <laughs> right? and, and again, I've always like, what, what's wrong? So this is this is this feels odd. Like I've never felt anything like this before. Like, and I and I and instinctively, even then, I knew that I shouldn't be talking about this to anyone. Yeah, yeah. I I like to talk about it to everyone. <laughs> it's different. It's different today. Although, right? Well, yeah. yeah. Well, no. Here I am talking about it. But on my podcast, so right, which is you're welcome. I love, <laughs> but for whatever reason, like I just came out this way. If anything, like I've become like less, like I've become like less sort of obsessed with talking about sex as I've gotten older. But like as a kid, like I, I definitely had to be like had to have some, you know, there were some conversations had because I would do things like, do you remember that song? When I think about you, I touch myself. So that song came out, I don't know, when I was like 11 or 10 or something. I don't know. And um, early 90s. And I used to just go around singing it all the time. I mean, loud. And eventually, like, I think somebody said something to my mom. And she was like, Jessica, like, you can't, you know. And then I also had a shirt that said, I'm on fire. And it had like flames and it was like, and I would, and it was like a little like crop top and I would wear that around too. And eventually my mom was like, you, you know, people are just really bothered. Like they're, they're not okay with this. And, you know, I, I just, I was very, very, very interested in the topic. And I think part of that was just me. It was just like, it's just the expression of me. And it was because I wasn't 
I wasn't being told that that was wrong for the most part. But I also, my sort of hyper interest in sexuality also, I think came from trauma, you know? So it's like, it's, there's, there's that as well. It's like, um, we can go that way too. It does. It's not just go into a shutdown around sex. We can also go into a space where, um, we're leading with it right. because we're extroverting it, yeah. right? Sort of, right? Is is a way to try and signal to the world, ask me, talk to me about it, right? So yeah, yeah. it's funny because I was, I was, you know, I envy, I mean, I envy you. I was the opposite. I was like walking around, head down, Nietzsche in my pocket, right? That's the Zarathustra, sort of like trying to be philosophical and. You know, sort of this sort of asexual creature. I was definitely mm. not. I was definitely not talking about it. Uh, it was much later on that I was like discovered it in a different way, and I was like, I'm going to have everything. <laughs> it was much later than I'm like, oh, this is a buffet. Oh, this I can do whatever I want. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, try and stop me now. Yeah, no, and that was not good either. Uh-huh. Um, but for, for, it's funny because for me, that interest of in uh, sexual and spirituality came later on in terms of looking more into mystical stuff and looking more into spiritual and sort of knowing the self and all that. So, so a couple or a person walks into your office, you know, a space where you work with people. Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, How, right, right, exactly. Um, how do you start, right? How do you start somebody who 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 does have right trauma, who has repressed uh, feelings about this, right? How, how do we help people, right? So like you and I now sort of like, yeah, just, you know, push the button. We're opening about it. Uh, we're open to talk about it, but how do you help people? How do we encourage people to um, start feeling better, start doing better uh, around, around this? Is there a place that you start? Yeah, I, I tend to, almost always start with pleasure awareness, helping people become more aware of pleasure just in the day to day, because it's not just that we're cut off from sexual pleasure. It's not just that we're uncomfortable talking about sexual pleasure. We're uncomfortable with pleasure in general. I love that. Which is so interesting because it's what we're chasing after all the time. Right. Um, but we're, we don't want to, we don't want to admit it. Right. So like, cause that seems shallow. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we are just pleasure. We're pleasure slash resistance machines, I think, as humans. But um, but I think it's it's real vulnerable. It's very vulnerable to be in pleasure. And there's a lot of reasons, like even just recently, I was teaching a group of women and I was teaching this pleasure awareness. And someone said, well, everything's so challenging in the world and people have it so rough. And isn't it just so selfish for me to just feel good? And I said, actually, in my opinion, the more that you engage with your pleasure, the more that you cultivate your pleasure, the more that you move through the world in pleasure, the more effective you are creating positive change, the more compassionate you become, the more you have um, you know, a capacity to, to hold the suffering of others because you have a container, you have resilient resource container of pleasure. So I find it to be the opposite of selfish, but there are people that feel that it is, you know, and so that's, there's a re-education around that, but also just a realization of how much pleasure is available. You know, you, you really have to pee, you pee, it feels good. You you did you did maybe a hard yoga class and then you do shavasana. It feels good to just lie there and let your muscles relax. You you pet your little dog, my little dog who sits next to me, <laughs> um, and 
it feels good. So there's just like endless experiences for pleasure throughout the day. So I help people get in touch with that first. And then we bring that into, um, into masturbation, into like a mindful masturbation or embodied self-pleasure practice. And for a lot of people, it's the first time they've slowed down and just been with their body in that way. Because there's a, you know, generally you masturbate the way you masturbate. You know, you do the things you do. And maybe over the years, it shifts and change here and there. But like, for the most part, it's like you got your thing. And so what I encourage people to do is like to let go of all of that, let go of um, the way in which they normally touch themselves, let go of porn, toys, fantasy, not because I think porn, toys and fantasy are wrong or don't have a place um, in mindful conscious sexuality, but because it can be a distraction from just being with your body. And so I like to start folks just really being with their body and seeing what comes up. And for some people, it can be like, wow, I never knew I could come that way. And for some, it's like, wow, I have a lot of tension in my body or, oh, I'm so angry, <laughs> right? Like a- anything can come up um, when you when you get in there and start exploring, bringing conscious, present, mindful uh perspective to it. So that's the beginning. I would say, you know, for folks working with trauma, which a majority of us are, um, I also bring- And almost all addicts are. Yeah. Almost, I think 99% of the addicts I work with have some kind of trauma, significant trauma in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was speaking to a mentor of mine and she's like, I don't know, we could probably just call it the disease of post-trauma. You know, it's like, because, yeah, that's, that seems to be the, the, the common denominator there. Yeah. There, it's funny. There, there are three, which is interesting. Um, and this is anecdotal. This is not scientific, but like of the, of the people I work with, so trauma is number one, right? Sort of physical abuse, emotional abuse, uh, right? Sort of uh, sexual abuse, all that, uh, unfortunately. Um, then the second group is people with learning differences. Um, an enormous amount of people I work with who are in addiction um, have a learning difference. Um, and the third one, which is interesting um, that, that I picked up on, is people who uh, are adopted. Mm. Um, and, and if you think about it, which is interesting to, to look at, it, the, all three are very similar mechanism. All three is some kind of event in our childhood that says to you, that signals to you, you're not worth it. You don't matter. Something's broken with you. You're not like everybody else. Something you did is wrong. You're hollow. Mm. All three of them. So, yeah. And I would say that all three of them fall under the category of trauma too. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's all, and it's, and it's a disconnection, you know, deep disconnection. Yeah. 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 So for those folks, like I do a lot of, um, I'm really inspired by uh, Peter Levine's somatic experiencing. So mm-hmm. I do a lot of resource practice, just having, having, and that that's also pleasure practice. It's, it's the same kind of thing, but just really giving folks a place to go when the body is feeling overwhelmed with trigger um, or fight, flight, freeze. And that can be an internal resource. It could also be an external resource, but with some people, we might, we might do a lot of sessions before we talk about the actual trauma. And in some cases, we don't even need to. Like I might say, go and you know see an EMDR therapist, work on right. that with them, and 
the work that we do around um, just getting in touch with what feels good can can actually be very healing. Pleasure is incredibly healing. Right. Is there a difference between uh, men and women um, in your work? I mean, in that sense, sort of like how men sort of think about their pleasure, how women think about the pleasure and trauma? I mean, interestingly, yes and no. I mean, I think ultimately there's that sense of I'm doing it wrong, something's wrong with me, right? And that's somewhat universal. Um, I find that men, it it's more challenging for men to talk about their pleasure because they don't really have a, a platform to do so. Like women, as much as women are not educated about their pleasure and their pleasure is not prioritized and all of that. There is a sense of like talking about sexual pleasure with each other for women. Like it seems like it's a feminine thing to do or something. And for men, like they don't talk about it with each other. And so the introduction of that whole idea can often bring up some, you know, some resistance and some embarrassment. Um, I definitely when I've noticed with men, not all the time, but some of the time when I give a mindful masturbation practice, they feel like something's being taken away from them. Like I have this thing that works that I do and, you know, I don't, I don't want to make it another practice. And I'm always like, I'm not taking away any of your stuff. You don't have to throw out your, I was going to say throw out your porn. Who actually has hard copies of porn? Exactly. (laughs) You don't have to stop clicking on your computer. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like I just want you to spend time with your body. And that can be, um, you know, not for, certainly not for all men, but for some men that can be a, a, a really challenging um, invitation to just be with the body in a really intentional way. It can be hard for women too, but I think that's one particular way that is challenging for men. I think for women, there is, there tends to be more, more shame around sexual pleasure. It's, it's different. I mean, it's a, I guess with men, it's, it's more of just like a, Oh, I don't talk about that. I don't go there. I don't know. Like a not wanting to be wrong, not wanting to get it wrong. Whereas with women, there's just a huge amount of shame around being in touch with sexual pleasure. And do you think, I mean, cause interesting, I didn't think about it until just now, like right. So that sort of uh, dealing with that is, kind of almost falls under sort of like a, a feminist manifesto, right? So like the part of the sort of like um, my my feminist experience, right? My my uh, activism is reclaiming my body, reclaiming my pleasure, reclaiming my, you know, fill in the blank, which, right? which I think men don't have in that sense, right? But they, unfortunately and unfortunately, they don't feel they need to, right? They don't, they don't need a movement like that, but... Right. And I actually think they do. (laughs) Um, Obviously, it's really different, right? Like I, I'm I'm a woman, I identify as a woman, I've um, been really, I don't, I don't know if lucky is the word or what, but like, I've, I have had some sexual trauma in my life, but not nearly to the degree that most women have. Um, And so I have a little bit of a, of a different experience. I've also always been really like when people tried to slut shame me as a teenager, I'd be like, like, it just didn't work on me. Like, I'm right. just like, like, what are you trying to do right now? Like, right. are you actually like, so I, I fall into a, a, a kind of a different space, but at the same time, obviously I, I know what it is to go out 
and take a walk with my dog at night and think I could be raped, you know, to, you know, go and get in my car in the garage and think I could be assaulted, you know, like that's not something that um, in general men are thinking about. So yes, it's a very unique, very different experience in that way. And if we don't also address men's sexuality and men's pleasure and men's sexual trauma, then we're, we're not, we're not healing this thing because all that we're doing is alienating men and pushing what's happening for them to the side. I mean, I can't tell you how many guys have been like, I just don't even know how to talk to women anymore. I feel like I shouldn't even, you know, experience pleasure because of what women have been through. And it's like, that doesn't solve the problem. We all need to be, we all need to be part of the, of the conversation and the healing. Agreed. I mean, that's, here we are. <laughs> that's part of, that's part of conversations like this, right? So I think that you're right. So many, so many men, we do need a movement, right? And, and, and in that sense, I think the movement is mindfulness, but I think this sort of that mindfulness recovery, um, our ability as men, my ability as men, right? Sort of as, as men to, to really say, no, I, I want to have this conversation. I, I, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. I'm not afraid to say what I what I like and I don't like. And also how how can I learn from 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 others and how can I grow? Right? Because right, if I grow as a person, then everything around me should grow as well, right? My knowledge, my my friendships, my family, but also my right, my inner world, my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Right. So everything needs needs to grow at the same pace. Otherwise you're sort of creating more splits within you, which is which is not great. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's hard to have it all grow evenly, but we can definitely like, we can definitely be dedicated to addressing all the quadrants of self, you know, and like, realizing, oh, this area is oh, this is a little, little weaker over here, a little atrophied over here, let me come and put some attention on it. And definitely sex is one of those areas for most people. <laughs> oftentimes just talking about it is healing just feeling like it's safe to have a conversation about it is is healing in itself you know and then there's lots of different you know exercises and writing and you know somatic practices and all kinds of things to get in there and address people's individual areas of of challenge or areas where they just want to grow and expand but just just talking about sex is healing (laughs) So how did you write, sort of, and this is in your book, right, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, how did you find mindfulness, right? How did you find sort of, uh, right, you talk about it in your book, but sort of how did you get to the space where they're starting to sort of have a common thread, right? So like this sort of, what I'm imagining, an overt, you know, sexual sort of young woman, uh, and then sort of like mindfulness, um, which... Um, which is more reflective, right, rather than sort of like extroverted mm-hmm. in that sense. Yeah. So I was actually introduced to meditation as a kid, like really young, like four or five by my mom. And um, I really loved it. Um, and there's actually a picture. Of... What's that? Do you remember your first one? I don't. Um, I don't. I was so little. I mean, I was under five. Um but what I do remember, and there's actually a photograph of, is my sixth birthday party. I wanted everyone at the birthday party 
and it was mostly adults, I think, to hold hands and close their eyes and meditate. And there's a picture of me like between my grandparents with my eyes closed and this little smile on my face. And I was really into it. And I was really into nature and I was really into spirituality. And I look back at like, like these kind of deep spiritual experiences I had as a kid that, you know, I just, I was just a kid, like just having my experiences. Um, but for me, um, I started drinking and using drugs and, you know, getting really obsessed with, you know, boys and girls at a young age. And I also grew up in an environment where uh, my father was an alcoholic and there was, you know, there was mental illness, there was addiction, there was neglect, there was trauma. I mean, my parents, my father has died 11 years ago now, but my mother's still living and she's an amazing woman. They were amazing parents in many ways and they were kids and they both had huge amounts of trauma. Like if I'm diagnosed with complex PTSD, I can't imagine what my dad would have been diagnosed with, you know, I mean, he would have been diagnosed with it too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But so I, in that environment, um, you know, I started self-medicating really young and that definitely cut me off from that sort of um, spiritual mindfulness connection. Um, And then I was basically on my own at a young age, about 14. Um, And so I was surviving, you know, I was doing the deal that I needed to do to kind of like, I mean, I started working really, really young too. Um, But what I would find is every so often I would like be sitting in a church silently. I would just find myself there or I'd be like sitting outside on a bench and I just find myself there and I'd have these like moments of dropping back into that place. But, um, but then I'd, I'd be back at it. You know, I'd be back out into, into my life and you know, the, you know, the, wildness that it was. But then when I got um, sober, when I was in my late 20s, uh, part of that process was like prayer and meditation. And so I started kind of gently exploring meditation again. And I definitely had this sense of, oh, I can't meditate because my mind is too full. Um, I have too many thoughts, so it's not working for me. And I would like read like Pema Chodron, or I'd like read different books, and they didn't really totally tell me how to meditate. Like, I didn't feel like I understood. So I would just sit there and get frustrated. And then every once in a while, I'd have some like amazing experience. I'd be like, what was that? But I didn't, I didn't have any guidance around it. So about a year into my sobriety, my partner at the time was having this meditation class at his house and I would never go to it. I would like sit in the other, I would like sit in the bedroom while the meditation class was happening. And then the teacher, um, Michael Taft, who's since become, you know, a dear friend and colleague, he, he told me I must be chicken. And that's why I wasn't coming to class. And I was like, well, and I went and the very first class. Oh, look, reverse psychology actually worked. <laughs> it worked. Too chicken to come to meditation? <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> he knew. He could tell. Classic. Classic. Exactly. exactly. Um, and that very first <laughs> class, he was teaching um, a sort of deconstruction of self-practice. He was teaching how to observe our thoughts and our emotions. And so suddenly I didn't need to quiet my mind. I could observe the thoughts instead right. and not just like, you know, leaves on a river, but like, let me get really curious about how this stuff moves and changes and what it is. And, and that process of observing thought and emotion, and how it works together, it, it had a somewhat instantaneous effect on me. And within a couple of weeks, I was in the midst of like a massive paradigm shift where, you know, life as I knew it was no longer. 
Um, and that's, that was kind of the beginning of that. And then I just, I got really, really into it and started going to a lot of retreats and not long after my teachers suggested I start facilitating and that then turned into teaching and, um, and it will, it became like a huge part of my life. And I was also in a relationship that was not, um, it, it was not very rich sexually. It was not, um, it was not very open or explorative sexually. And I had chosen that in a way because I really wanted to let that part of myself kind of calm down and reset. <laughs> um, and through the meditation practice, I was like, okay, I'm ready to like really go back into this part of me from this new perspective. And I want to know like, what is sex life like now that now that I recognize I'm not separate, a separate sound self, what is sex like now that I am like experiencing the flow of all things? Like, it, I bet it's amazing. And uh, my partner at the time wasn't really interested in that journey, which is totally reasonable. So I started it on my own and then ultimately, you know, left that relationship and got into a new one that I'm still in 10 years later. And had a really just massive sexual awakening, which led me to, okay, I'm going to bring these things together. And that's when I started writing about it. Um, and that led ultimately to the book and led to the coaching I do around it. Um, but yeah, just kind of, the, those were the two, you know, like I said earlier, sex was so interesting to me as a kid and so is spirituality. And so they sort of just, they naturally needed it to come together, I guess, for me. Interesting. And do you think, or I, I, let me ask you this: How does then your, um, I guess, you know, bisexualism, pansexual, like I, you know, I don't know what the, uh, I, I don't want to self-define you, <laughs> let you self-define yourself. But how does your non-binaryness um, play into that? Do you think it it holds a role for you? Um. Yeah, I, I've always since I started having sexual experiences, I was doing that with, with people of all genders. I've always said bisexual because I, I like want to want to like uh, support that, that, uh, that label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause it gets, kind of gets a bad rap. Um, but it doesn't mean that like, I'm not attracted to people who don't necessarily identify as male or female. It's just, it's just the word I've always used. Um, I think how does it relate? Um, yeah, I think the non-binary sort of experience of my sexuality definitely um, lent itself to combining spirituality and sexuality. I think there was sort of an openness in me around that. Um, but I don't know. I'm curious, like, if you can ask the question again, like... <laughs> Give me more because I, I feel like there's something really juicy here. I'm just not quite finding it. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm I'm I, I agree with you that um there is a distinct connection between having um both good sex but also good sexuality um and mindfulness um and other spiritual practices sort of to allow us to sort of know ourselves. I think that it is would be really difficult to um, to have um, awareness in one side of your life and not another 
Um, but but also I think this sort of uh, in order to be a good lover, whatever position you are at, you have to be aware of your own pleasure and the pleasure of the others, right? So like mm-hmm. I think that right. Um, in, in very crude terms, right? So like, um, I learned a long time ago, right? That sort of if you if you if you have if you want to be a good top, right? Sort of uh, you have to bottom. Mm. You have to know it, uh, <laughs> and, and vice versa. Um, so you know, uh, I, I'm always very, always very curious with people who are just like just one thing. I, you know, that's that's interesting to me. Um, but I think to to go back to to what we're talking about is that I think this sort of this the same idea of this sort of learning a, a nine binary point of view um, is expansive and. Right. And I think right here you are, right? You're an educator, you're a spiritual person, you're, you know, you sort of you practice mindfulness. Um and you have this uh the two lenses, right, that most people don't have. And I guess when you put on the lenses, what comes into focus and what becomes blurry if you put the focus of somebody who's having a relationship with a woman or then somebody who's having a relationship with a man, right? They are they are different, right? Mm. And so, sort of like, what are the what are the insights? The sort of that, right? Stepping back, looking at from a really mindful space, um, how does that play into my my roles and my identity? But also in terms of creating the right the sexual scenario. Mm. <laughs> this is great. Um, mm. You know, it's interesting because. Um, I don't think I realized how amazing it is to be in a relationship with a woman until I was in my current relationship with someone who's really in his masculine. Because I I dated a, a lot of men who had more feminine energy um like and whatever it's like fe- by feminine I don't necessarily it can be yin it can be yang you know it doesn't need to be those those words but or that we're more neutral and communication wise right they tended to be more in the feminine and so as an adult like i i basically only dated women from like what 21 to about 28 and so when i and then i dated a man who definitely was very comfortable in the feminine and really good at communication um, with a woman. And then my current relationship, I was like, Oh, this is what everyone was talking about. Like all the straight women were talking about that. They had, they had trouble communicating with their husbands or their partners. I had no idea. Like I had no idea that it was like so hard <laughs> and how easy it was in relationship with a woman, because they're just so, there's just all this stuff that's just doesn't need to even be spoken. Like it's just understood. Um, and so that was really interesting for me to to recognize and realize um and also for me um i've i think i've never like i said before like i've never thought there was anything wrong with it like my mom told me she was bisexual when i was a kid and i was like oh okay um and it it just sort of like <laughs> like and i think i was like you know i was maybe like 11 or 12 and she said something about a beautiful woman in a car and i go oh what are you gay mom and she was like, she was like, yeah, actually, I like women too. And I was like, 
it like really like shifted something for me. I was like, oh, okay, that's possible. Um, so I always like, yeah, I always felt really comfortable with that that part of myself. Though it's it's very different. It was very different when I was in my twenties. What like the way it feels to be in the world um, as someone who's not straight. Like I was, I was just recently talking to an ex of mine, a woman that I was with back back then. And she's like, it's so different now, like what it's like to walk down the street holding my girlfriend's hand. She's like, we, I don't get I don't get drive by dikings anymore. She's like, it's so, so different. Um, and so I think while I never felt like there was a, an issue with that part of myself sexually, I definitely was aware of the danger in the world around it which is an interesting, interesting piece to kind of, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting aspect of sexuality that I wouldn't have if, if that hadn't been part of, like, I wouldn't realize that, yeah, it could be dangerous. You could, you could be hurt. You could be killed. So does that danger play into sort of some of, of, of the work that you do? Sort of like to the, the sort of the, what I call the strangeness, the otherness, mm. right? I, I, it's funny because I, um, on one hand, walk around in the world with a safety that I think a lot of people don't, right? Being male, being cisgendered, being white. Um, but as a gay person, right, there's always a, a heightened level of, um, of awareness. And definitely when I was a kid, because I thought, right, if I say this or do this, if I sound like this, I'll, I'll be found out, right? So, and um, and thrown out, right, of, of my community, which eventually did happen, but out of my own <laughs> actions, yeah. they didn't find me out. I came out, but um, uh, and, and funny you should say about, about relationship, right? So, like, right, my, my uh, uh, sort of in, in partnership, where my partner sort of is, it's very interesting, but sort of like we we, we joke that he has uh, four feelings, right? Uh, angry sad happy horny <laughs> that's that's it right there's just no there's no complexities of any other feelings mm-hmm. um which i think uh but but i think that the the interesting thing that you raise and that's what i'm asking sort of like in this space of of danger dispense of otherness in the space of um not fitting in if you will right do you think that creates more awareness for you when when somebody walks in the room, uh, clients or, or otherwise, sort of recognizing sort of some of that, right? Yeah. I mean, I think while I didn't go to college, and I actually didn't go to high school either, um, I educated myself <laughs> very thoroughly when it comes to this um, through experience. Um, and I do think it matters. I do think the fact that I've had you know, that I've practiced ethical non-monogamy and I've practiced non-ethical non-monogamy. I think the fact that... Wait, ethical non-monogamy. Okay, ethical non-monogamy. And the other one was... I said non-ethical non-ethical. Non-ethical. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, yes, fair. I've been uh, on either side of being cheated on. I've been in, you know, yeah, no, relationships, polyamorous relationships, you know, and, and I've been in relationship, yeah, with serious relationship with, with men and with women. And I think what that allows me to do is to really offer a judgment-free zone. Like I've never had someone tell me something where I'm like, Oh, 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 nope. I can't talk about that. 
because I have really tried to have all the experience. You're like, oh, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a Tuesday. (laughs) Exactly. Which, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I have this book out in the world and I do this work and, and really like, um, partially because of dealing with chronic illness and chronic pain and partially just kind of the space I'm in in my life right now. My life is not what my sex life is not what a lot of people think it must be. Like it's, it's like, it has been like, and right now I'm in a different, I'm just in a different space. I'm not in a space of like wild adventure when it comes to sex. Um, but yes, I can draw on all of that with, with the folks that I work with. And I think there's something, um, you know, there's something really healing about just being able to sit across from someone who's like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, and, you know, this is also, you know, I've, I've done nude modeling and I've put it up on my Instagram, um, you know, censored. But uh, and one of the main reasons I do that is to say, like, it's OK to express this part of yourself. Like, it's OK to be a spiritual person and a sexual person. It's okay to um, be, uh, you know, uh, someone who talks about sex in a professional way and someone who puts themselves out there in that way. Right. Now, not everyone needs to do that, but if- and also somebody who doesn't then party all the time, right? I think talking about what you just said before and, and was at the beginning, the people think like, oh, if you're a sexual educator and open and poly and all that and you must be having like parties and orgies every day of the week right and it's a great right so like so like no right i have i also have sometimes one partner i'm just home and i like you know and sometimes i even like you know have my dinner and just go to bed right <laughs> it's not it's not exactly. like, it's not a it's not a party all the time but again i think people just want to project on others this sort of what they think is their fantasy but it really isn't yeah what they think it should look like, right? Sort of this bacchanal kind of image of life. And it's sort of like, no, right? Yeah. Not not every time you're going to have sex, it's going to be fireworks. Yeah. And not everybody wants to have that kind of sex life. You know, That's right. you can have, you can be celibate and have a really super healthy sexuality, you know? You, sexuality, yes. You know, it's yes. like yes, 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 yes. The, your sexuality gets to be its own beautiful, unique expression. And there's no, you know, I just say as long as it's consensual. Right. Really, as long as it's consensual, like have at it, whatever that means for you. And and that includes having, you know, not great, shut down, checked out sex. If that's where you're at, that's what, sh- what you're needing. And obviously, you know, I would like to let people know there's more, <laughs> like there's, there's more possibility, but, um, but there's not a wrong way. Um, and, and yeah, just because somebody um, teaches about sex or writes about sex or is open about sex doesn't necessarily also doesn't necessarily mean that they're uh, DTF, <laughs> you know, right, <laughs> right. like that's another thing, like maybe twice a year, I'll put a post up. That's like, um, Hey, I talk about this stuff, but that doesn't mean that I'm interested in a picture of your penis or, you know, <laughs> or that I want to have sex with you. And you know, I people are fairly um, respectful with me, honestly. And it's I think I have a small platform. I think as it grows, I might see something more. I might see see more challenges in that realm. But um, people tend to be pretty respectful. But I do need to put that out there sometimes because definitely on social media. Mostly men, but 
people of all genders um, just really think that I'm open for <laughs> open for business because of right, the way I talk right. about things. Yeah. Do you? Um, I, I often think about um, I, I, again. I just spoke in the last podcast about sort of um, this sort of uh, right. The, the the Greek said six words for for love, right? And, and we talk about eros, but one of them is sort of ludic and 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 this flirtation kind of like night out dancing with friends sort of like looks across the bar um and how a good version of that for some people is better than sex mm. right and and in that sense sort of like also what i think is more and more open to people talking about which is sort of like what what, what they refer to themselves as asexual but but people who are interested in the sexual fantasy but they're not interested in the actual physical sexual scenario, mm-hmm. um, right? Which which is interesting, especially thing now with COVID, and I, <laughs> I kind of think like, right? One of my favorite things, one of my favorite things here in New York City, the public health department, public health had this whole guideline right at the beginning, and one of them says, "Don't be afraid to be a little bit kinky," right? Sort of like you know, maybe you just want to basically a glory hole maybe you just want to put your penis in a hole somewhere and you know and have it quote-unquote serviced and that's good and i'm like what (laughs) (laughs) what i was i was shocked but i was like i I gave it to people to read like just make sure that i'm reading it right right so like yes i've been living in america for long but i didn't grow up here right that's the accent i'm belgian and i just want to make sure like just to make sure that i'm not misunderstanding this um but but in that sense, but in that sense, people who are um, not interested in, let's say, sort of the 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 sexual, I don't know, physicality of it, um, but still want to have a healthy a healthy sexuality, right? You just talk, started talking about, so that's why I'm, I'm like interested in in that um, and how that looks like, mm-hmm. in your opinion. Yeah, well, definitely, you know there's the self-pleasure piece and there's just really being with yourself in that way. Um, There's also, you know, I don't know. Have you ever like seen a film and it's just so good that you're turned on? Like it's not really sexual, but it's just like, right. It's like, so there's so much beauty and creativity in the world in every, really every instant that can like turn us on and have that part of us alive. And I think that's a way in which we can engage with our sexuality in what I'm saying is a healthy way that doesn't necessarily involve sex. Right. And that's part of spirituality, I think, right? That's our soul speaking. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Um, Do you think that we are divine creatures? Do you believe in God? Mm. So one of the practices that I started doing a couple years ago is when I was it was in a very probably the darkest place I've ever been in my life, um, and the most probably spiritually fruitful as well. But it was a long run. It was a very dark night of the soul, very kind of classic dark night of the soul. And um, I started uh, doing this divine mother practice um, and connecting to this sense of divine, all loving, all accepting, all compassionate mother energy. And it's probably one of the most 
kind of powerful shifts I've experienced when it certainly when it comes to my health, um, but definitely just overall, like connecting with a sense of divine, whether that's divine mother, divine universe, divine, you know, God, divine father, whatever it is. Um, it's been incredibly important for me personally. Um, I am keenly aware for myself that when I chose to connect with that, I was choosing to believe in a collection of thoughts and emotions. I was choosing, I'm going to take these thoughts and these emotions and I'm going to allow them to solidify and I'm going to choose to believe in this divine energy. And I very much feel it <laughs> when I sit down and I do a practice like that, or even just, you know, in this moment, right? Like it's unmistakable. And I'm, cho I'm choosing to put it in the container of like divine mother or God or whatever it is. Um, my experience of the divine, aside from that, is that it's all divine. There's nothing that isn't. There's nothing that's not spiritual. There's nothing that's not love. And so what I really believe in is love. And love because there's not another word that I can come up with. Um, my direct experience through spiritual practice has been, and through just living, has been that every piece of everything for eternity is love. That, that that's the thread, that's the fabric, that's the everything. And it's not a personal, like, everything works out perfectly for me individually as a human or for anyone else. It's a much um, more, it's absolute. It's not relative. So I believe in absolute love. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I love that. I mean, the reason I'm asking is because I think so many people think sex is so, earthly right it's so things and it's sort of so it stands in in contrast mm -hmm. to right to things that are divine and spiritual right and, and again we know that's for at least in jewish tradition that right sort of god is made of two forces female and female and we humans are here to bring those together to create more creation to create more right more fertility around them mm -hmm. um and that in ancient traditions um we used sex, right? A lot of ancient tradition used sex as a form of worship, right? Mm -hmm. To get to that moment, to that, to get to that climax, to get to that moment of of um, of both annihilation and expansion, right? I don't know if you ever did. You ever read George Bataille, right? Mm -hmm. The History of the Eye, right? <laughs> so, right. I love that book so much, um, right? Um, and by how he describes right the sort of the, the the moment of ecstasy, right, which of course is also sort of right the ecstatic sort of spiritual moment, right. But the moment of ecstasy is a moment that you feel the most alone, but also the most connected, right. And and how sex can, or at least sex should in in its in its beautiful form be part of the exploration of the divine, Ab whatever that is. Absolutely, and I think. Yeah, I love I love the way that you talk about that and um that expression of the divine that occurs through sex. It can occur through you know any kind of sex. And that's something that that I've been really passionate uh, on talking about is like it doesn't need to look the way that you think 
sacred, divine sexuality is supposed to look. Right. Sex with robes. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it really it really can, you know, it, it can look all kinds of ways. And, um, and it should because we're all kinds of creatures, you know, we, we, with all sorts of unique expressions of sexuality. Um, but absolutely, it's a direct path. Sex is a direct path to the divine. It's a direct path to spiritual awakening. And there's, I am 100% in full support if like your spiritual path involves like casting aside that, that fine. But in general, the amount of um, the amount of people who are excluding that from their spiritual path, they just don't realize what they're what they're what they're missing. It's this whole. I mean, you're talking about the you know the the birth and the death or the annihilation and the you know the the arising and you know I also think of that as expansion contraction you know which is what my one right. of the teachers Shinzen talks about it's like just the ex- simultaneous expansion and contraction of the universe like what better way to really tap into that than through than through sex right what a what an amazing way do you meditate before sex um i sometimes yeah, I mean, it's, <clears throat> I, I wouldn't say that I always, every time I have sex, sit down and do some sort of practice. But the thing is, is that like, when you meditate a lot, you're kind of just always meditating. <laughs> um, yeah. That's the other thing. Like, there's a certain point where I was like, oh, this is just all, this is just happening all the time. It's not, that's not to say that sitting down and practicing isn't a good thing to do, but um, it just becomes the way in which one experiences rather than a special thing that we that we do but i do suggest it i definitely suggest sitting down and meditating before sex if you know if that's in alignment for you right do you, do you have a quick meditation that people should be doing before sex do you think that's what you tell them to yeah so um i like to have couples first take a moment for themselves so just closing eyes, getting in touch with breath, finding pleasure in one's own body, you know, having, you know, not touching, like having some space between. And then opening eyes, connecting with eye contact, connecting with breath, um, and connecting with your own pleasure as you're being seen and seeing each other. And then allowing that to build and grow, allowing that sexual energy to build and grow to bring you together to touching. And at that point, um, continuing to stay in touch with what's happening in your body and in your breath and your own experience, and then starting to extend that into that flow of sensation between the bodies. And so it's sort of a, it's a, it's a moving meditation, but starting by just coming into your own body and getting in touch with your own pleasure. Um, and then connecting from there. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think looking at each other is something we so, I mean, uh, rarely do in general. I don't think people really see each other. Mm. Um, and I think it's unfortunate. Or, or I, I think it is indicative, indicative um, because I, right, a lot of people ask me, like, you know, where is God? <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> as, as if, right, just because, just, right, just because, right, just because, I, you know, I've been ordained that sort of somehow I have some connection to God. Um, but uh, but I, I thought about, so I thought about it a lot throughout the years. And for me, right, because in, in our tradition, 
we have been created in God's image, right? That's the that's just the beginning of, of Genesis. God has created us in an image. You want to see God? Look at another person. Look him in the eye. You want to bring divinity in your respect, in your sex life? Look them in the eye. Look at them in the eye as they have pleasure. Look them in the eye as they have pain, right? Because right, we even talked about that. But that's sort of like right. There's a little bit of pain in in every pleasure, and it's part of you know. As a gay man, I <laughs> right, I'm fully aware of that, perhaps more than most. But um, but in that sense, divinity is within us, right? You want to see it. You want to invite it as you describe yourself. You want to invite it. So look at somebody else's eyes. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And that was, that was, that was terrifying to me when I was younger. <clears throat> I was, you know, I was very, um, like I said, very sexual, but being, seeing and being seen was not something I was interested in. And um, I remember when I was first uh, reading uh, Passionate Marriage by uh, Dr. Snarch, and mm-hmm. uh, he talks about open-eyed orgasms. And I was like, oh, oh not gonna do that that sounds horrible but then part of me is like oh wait a second i should probably do i was like can you even do that it's like sneezing with your eyes open like how, exactly. how do you do that exactly but i you know i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna learn how to do this and um and yeah first time first time i orgasmed with my eyes open looking into my partner's eyes i was like oh my god i didn't i had no idea that this was this was possible like it's like talk about seeing God, right? Like it's, um, and, and look, that doesn't mean you have to have your eyes open every time you have sex. It doesn't mean like, you know, it doesn't, it's just, but to have the flexibility to have that possibility of doing that. And that's something that, that I, uh, you can, and you can start that with yourself and the mirror. Mirror match. Oh no, I think for people like, oh, what the fuck? No, 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 no. They don't want to look at themselves in the mirror. For some people, it might be less scary than looking into someone else's eyes while they Uh, they climax. For others, it might not, but but it is a place, you know, it is something it is a place to start if it's something that you want to incorporate. Um, because and then also the other thing I say to people is like it can be very practical. Like you want to learn to open your eyes and see God and your partner as you as you climax. Great. Well, what are some practical steps? Well, you could start by just opening your eyes for five seconds and then closing them, and then right. them, you know do a titration with it. You know, move back and forth into it. Um, it doesn't have to be like okay, I'm doing this now. <laughs> it can be you know a slow and gentle process. Remembering coming all the way back to like all the stuff that's in there for people. You know, just, just, so my hope with talking about this stuff is not to give people an idea of another thing they're not doing right. Right. Another thing, you know, they're failing at. It's like, no, like make it work for you. Right. Here's a path to go together. So to try and write work for you. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, a few last, uh, what, is there something that sort of that you teach or do and people are, be, are, are usually like, What? Like, are there things that sort of that you sort of like, you know, things that you know and you sort of say, oh, do and people blow and you, they blows people's mind and you're like, really? I'll tell you the first thing that comes to mind. Um, Sometimes when I'm working with someone, there's going to be projection, right? Right. Um, There's going to be some transference going on. Um, They might start to feel like they're attracted to me or like they have feelings for me. And I will talk about that openly with them. Right. I'll say, you know, I'm not going to, I only if it, you know, wants to come up, you know, but it's gen- generally clear when that's happening right. and we'll speak, I'll speak about it openly. People will be like, cause a lot of people have had an experience of a teacher or a therapist or something like this. 
Right. For people who can't see, by the way, the look was uh, deer in headlights. <laughs> in that pause that you just heard was just like, you know, Jessica, like deer in headlights. Because yeah. uh, like people were just listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for translating my face yeah. expressions. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important. And I, it, doesn't come, it doesn't come up with everyone. It comes up with not that many people. But when it does come up, there's a real like, wait a second, we can actually talk about this. You can, you can hold space for this and that, and I can, and I do. Um, and I think, you know, I have very clear, strong boundaries. Um, but because I have those clear, strong boundaries, I can, I can be with someone in that space. Um, so that, that interestingly, that's the first thing that came to mind. Um, I think most people, the first time I suggest mindful masturbation, they're like, what? Like, it's just the idea of, the fact that we're talking about it, number one, like that we're having a conversation about masturbation mm -hmm. and that they're going to go and they're going to do this thing and then they're going to come back and talk to me about it again. Like that can be, that can be very surprising and shocking to folks. Right. And for those of people who don't know, just say a couple of words about what is mindful masturbation. So the basic version that I offer is you, you set a timer for 10 to 15 minutes. You put aside any toys, any porn, any fantasy, you have lube, if that's part of what you, what you use. Yeah, I part think, of your practice. It, yeah. <laughs> um, and that you start by exploring the body without touching the genitals. So you're touching your face and your arms and you're just trying different strokes and different squeezes and different, you know, pressures and, just really exploring and continuously coming back to the sensations. So when you get pulled into the mind, you're just coming back, just like in a meditation, you're coming back to the body and to what feels good. And then if you do move on to masturbation, then you're going to explore it in some new way. So you won't do what you always do. And there won't be a goal of climax. It's fine if you do. It's fine if you don't. The idea is that you're just really exploring like what feels good, um, what comes up when you're experiencing pleasure, do emotions arise. Um, and the, the most basic version is just to keep coming back to what you're feeling in your body as you explore your body um, until the timer goes off. And then I usually suggest that people take a few minutes to just write out their experience, just, mm -hmm. just a few lines about how it was for them. And then obviously, if you haven't climaxed and you really want to go for it, you know, and do it however you want to do it, you know, you, you do it with toys or fantasy or porn or whatever. Um, but let that period, that practice period really be its own thing. And then there's a lot of different um, versions of what it can be in different ways. You can branch it off in different, you know, different fun directions, but that's the basic. Um, and yeah, most people are like, they know that we're here to talk about this stuff, but that can be a little shocking when I'm actually like, okay, so <laughs> talk to me about your masturbation practice. How would it look like today? Um, let's, let's explore. Um, and then look, sometimes I, I can, I can work very intuitively. So sometimes I'll just be like, okay, I want you every day to cup your vulva and tell it that it's a beautiful creature and people or, or whatever, you know, something along these lines can just kind of come right. up or I want you to give a cucumber a blowjob and see how pleasurable it can be for you. Like, how can you create the most pleasure in this experience, you know, because you know, that can be a very pleasurable experience. We just have to uh, look. I would just eat it. Right. I would just eat it. <laughs> you would just eat the cucumber. <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes things like that just pop out. So, and right. I'm, you know, I'm fat. I'm like, if, it, if it's edible, 
It's in my mouth. <laughs> um, lastly, I just want to, just because we've spoken about these things and my people who are listening, and you know, I want to talk a little bit, just a, a few moments about kink. Mm-hmm. Um, and because um, I think one of the things that sort of that comes up for a lot of people in addiction and a lot of people in recovery, uh, right, going back to where we started with Shaman Gill, the sort of that, you know, people who are like, yeah, but you wouldn't understand, I like xyz right i like you know transgender men transgender women i like you know to do it in a clown suit i like furries i like whatever it is that floats your boat right and 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 like you right so like in my office i i say this with 100 confidence right whatever you're going to tell me i've heard it before not to diminish from your experience but like you know i've had here murderers and and rapists and raped and traumas and prostitutes and drug dealers and pimps any kind of human being has said in this office i assure you no judgment mm-hmm. um which is for a lot of people you know to answer my own questions for like a lot of people that's the most shocking things like oh but you're rabbit you're willing to talk about this yeah um so but talking a little bit about sort of like right the 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 varieties of human sexuality um and right sort of the the individualization if you will sort of as kink gives us right um how do you how do you help normalize to people other than just saying it's okay when they feel so uh, so deep in the shame and the guilt of the things that they like and they shouldn't they shouldn't like and in many ways the society tells them they shouldn't like yeah so a huge part of the work that I do is around self-love and around inner child work and so if someone comes with a you know sexual desire that they have shame around or judgment around um, I tend to work with the younger self um, that's, that's arising in that because usually there is one <laughs> and a big part of it is just finding, okay, where is that younger self and what does it need? What is it needing in this moment? I often have people like find a picture of themselves at the, around that, whatever the age is that arises and they just give love to that kid every single day. Because I think, you know, I think self-love and self-compassion is has a huge part in in good sex and healthy sexuality um and so i i tend to address that kind of stuff at that level and indeed in life <laughs> oh yeah right in life for sure it's like it's kind of the, i don't know I think, and also in life <laughs> also in life like like i think probably the biggest work that i've done is like taking care of like all my younger selves mm-hmm. like sweetheart oh sweetheart i got you i'm gonna take care of you i love you you're safe you know these kinds of things at all different ages all the way into utero you know that's been that's been a big part of my personal right. journey. Um, so, self compassion and self love is a huge part of it. Um, and then you know I'll you know I'll suggest a podcast or I'll suggest a book or I'll like I'll offer a resource that um, that aligns with whatever it is they're feeling like is 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 so wrong and so bad and try to and try to open them up to like the whole world out there that's available to them. Even if they think what their thing is just like this, nobody could possibly be into this. It's like, actually there's like a whole community um, and trying to like introduce that. So that's part of the kind of normalizing it as well. But I think the, the self-love and the self-compassion piece is really, really important when it comes to that. Like really important. Um, Yeah. It's, 
it's what most people need, what everyone needs, probably. Yeah, I mean that's that's true, right? And and if you have to, if you need to hear somebody, your rabbi says it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to want what you want, mm-hmm. as long as it's consensual and as long as you don't harm anyone. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You are okay. You're not broken. Trust me. There's 300 more of you. There's somewhere in Portland or San Francisco or Des Moines, Iowa, and there's an association for them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You could pay member dues. <laughs> And the thing is, is like, let's say you are engaging in something sexually that is destructive for you, mm-hmm. for you. Maybe it wouldn't be for someone else, but for you it is, or something that's, you know, that's causing suffering for you. Um, the first step is not to be like, it's wrong. I got to stop doing this thing. Cause it, that doesn't tend to work. At least in my experience, it's like, Oh, let me look at the parts of self that are um, that are getting something out of this. Let me look at the right. parts of self that, right. that this is helping helping me survive in some way, or this is right. helping to um, dull this pain that I've been in for all these years, or whatever it is. Just start there, rather than at the. All right, I got to eradicate this behavior now. Um, and for some people, it might even be that through shifting the way in which they. Um, experience themselves it may not even be the behavior that's the issue right like it may be like right. that behavior right. could be done in a way that actually right. doesn't create suffering right. it's just that you need to go into the inner workings of it right i mean that's that's recovery right so addiction almost always starts as a solution to a problem right it gives you something it protects you it gives you something it takes away the trauma it takes away the pain but if you talk about um right sort of i i, I often go back to the story this young woman who was in my office many, many years ago, heroin addict who was severely traumatized when she was when she was younger. And she was describing the first time that she took heroin and how all of a sudden she said, all of a sudden the PTSD went away. All of a sudden I felt normal. I felt like everybody else. I went to work. I, I had a, you know drinks with friends. Like so right. So so then if you told me, hey, don't take this so you can feel the way you did before, I would have been like Get out of here. Like, why wouldn't I try this tomorrow? Right. So almost all addictions start. And there's a there is a tradition in, in you know in, in Talmud about the sort of rabbi who goes to see his friend. It's in one of the podcasts. Um, and he the friend was ill and he goes to help him. And before he is able to help him, he asks him, Are these afflictions dear to you? And the the rabbi says, Neither they neither them nor their reward. Right? Teaching us, right, that sort of that a lot of these afflictions, right, they we gain something from them. Right. And, and part of recovery is to try and understand what that is, because then the hole that's left, we have to fill with something. Right. That's right. And, and this is this is true for for sex addiction. Right. Which is we, we haven't spoken about, but like, right. The, the sex addiction and love addictions and codependency, um, you know, and, and all these things. But but right. You and I are doing a workshops in September. Right. So so we'll have more chances to talk a little bit about sort of more practical ways of, sort of looking at sex addiction and, and other things around it. Absolutely. Um, but um, but yeah, I think, I think like you said, so like finding out what that is, get, gaining awareness of where, where, what is this serving, allows us then to sort of to try and understand it. And again, never, we're always back to never to, never to lean into the shame and the guilt, right? Of like something's wrong with me, right? Right? Sort of like, no, you're human. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I um, I don't think I would still be alive if it wasn't for drugs and alcohol and and dysfunctional distracting relationships and sex like it saved my life 
like around the same time as, you know, at 11, when I was started contemplating suicide, I started drinking and doing drugs shortly after. And thank God I did, because I'm glad that I'm here. I'm glad I get to sit here and be with you right now, you know? And so, yeah, it doesn't, it's not something that's going to work for me today, because I've, you know, like, like you've said, like that, what, what they call that God-shaped hole, it's filled up with something else now, you know, and the, and, and trauma can be healed. I mean, that's the other thing I would love to just put out there is that like, I'm someone who, when triggered, would go into a full-on PTSD response with shaking and vomiting and diarrhea and brain freeze and, you know, arms and legs cold and major, all blood going to major organs, like unable to think, constipation, like just like the whole body would shut down in in certain ways to someone that that just doesn't happen to. It just doesn't happen to me. And um, doesn't mean I'm not continuing to work with themes of trauma but it's very, 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 very different. And if I, if that's possible for me, it's possible for anybody. You know, it really is. And and yes, I'm white. I'm cisgendered. Um, I'm middle class. You know, there in some ways, it's in many ways that makes it easier for me. Um, and it's possible. Like it is. It really is. That's a good message of hope, right? You can work it. You can. It works if you work it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Jessica, this has been a pleasure. This has been really amazing. I, this is, I, you know, I can have this conversation on and on and on and on, you know, so. Same uh, Same. Yeah. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for having, thank you for having those conversations. Thank you for surprising people with talking about sex in your office. It's so incredibly important and, and world changing work that you're doing. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing, right? To allow people to find, to find their own sexual language. I always feel that at the end of the day, it's about ability for us to find our own, our own language within ourselves. And sort of the work that you do is allows people to sort of find their own language. So, uh, so once again, if you, if you're interested and you should be, if you're interested in, in Jessica's work, you can, uh, you can definitely, uh, buy her book, good sex, uh, which is, uh, very interesting. And then, uh, on Instagram, like I said, we'll put it on, uh, on the podcast or so Instagram, her website. If you have any questions for us, DM us, text us as always. Uh, again, I'm Rabbi Iggy from the Chuba Center, and this is Tattoos and Torah. Uh, you can find us on any of the podcast platforms. Uh, thank you again. 